back. Thank you for a good first session. I am feeding off your energy. I'm seeing the smiles, and I really appreciate that. Uh, when you talk on something like this, you don't know what people's backgrounds are. You don't know how much experience they've had, and I just don't know where everybody is. So I'm hoping I'm explaining things in a way that you're all catching it. And I know there's times for question and answer, but if there's an immediate clarification or something doesn't make sense or something, feel free to raise your hand and just let me know. What I don't want to have happen is I'm saying something and there's just, what? You know, yeah, I don't even know what you're saying kind of, kind of thing. Otherwise, it'd be like, 19 minutes ago, you said in your question and answer. If you're that good to remember, that's fine too. So, but just feel free. All right, we began our church music history section on page two rocketing through the 10-page handout on page two, but that's all right. That's fine. We talked a little bit about the Psalms, which are the, uh, the first music that we know of, of the Hebrew church, and we may talk more about them if we get to. As I mentioned before, I'm probably going to skip around a bit, and if, because I don't know how long this will take, and so if we get done early through my material, we'll have time to go back and dig in another level Another level deeper, but let's get that first coat of paint on and we'll come back and see if we can put another coat on later. So let's move, uh, we'll move past the Psalms and we'll move into the New Testament worship. Well, at first, of course, the, the first Christians were the Jews of Jesus' day. And so they originally you know, were in synagogue worship, which is much like the temple worship, although I think it had changed somewhat. I'm thinking that the synagogue worship, and I'm not really an authority here, might have been more simple. It wasn't at the temple, so, you know, they didn't have all the instruments and all that. That was mostly at the temple. So the synagogue worship might have been a cappella. I'm not sure. But, of course, then as the Christians found themselves more out of favor with the synagogue, right, and had to form their own communities that met on the Lord's Day, in, mostly in house churches at the time, until the church became officially sanctioned with Constantine. Again, very informal, right? Meeting in catacombs, meeting in homes, Probably a cappella, probably singing a lot of the psalms they learned in the synagogue, you know, from whatever they learned that had been passed down from the psalms of David. I, of course, I don't have any musical examples to share with you, but my point is to just say that most likely the early church, and I mean the apostolic church, let's say that from the early church because we're thinking more like the church fathers, but, you know, the New Testament era, let's say, probably just a continuation of psalms and chants from the Old Testament, but not nearly as formally and robustly accompanied because they weren't in the temple with that large Levitical, right? They're in a small synagogue or they're in somebody's home. And that's really all I want to say about that, except that the continuity was there, is my point. So that when you see that when the church makes up their chants and things later in the, in the era of the early fathers and whatever, it's not like it's totally something new that we just chucked everything from the old and just started new. That's my main point here of, of that. Um, now, so now we're going to talk about the early church era, which I would say maybe goes to about 400. Some people say 500. This is the period of the church fathers. A lot is going on here, especially when you get into the 300s. We actually have hymns written in the 300s. The texts are from the 300s. St. Ambrose, many of you have heard of St. Ambrose, who I believe led Augustine to the Lord. He was first the governor of Milan, and then later became the bishop. Um, very seminal figure in Milan, Italy, and in church history. 
and he wrote, and we're going to sing many hymns, and he wrote, and of course these are all going to be in Latin. When we talk about the early church, most of the early church fathers, it's either Greek, remember the New Testament is in Greek, and even though they're in Jerusalem, right, um, you know, the early Jews, there's the Greek speaking, and then of course the early church fathers, you might be in Italy, but yet there's still a lot of Greek influence. So there's Greek hymns, there's Latin hymns. Those were the two cultures, I guess, out of which the um, early church hymns came. So let's do a hymn of St. Ambrose, which is 225, Savior of the Nations Come. I love this hymn. My wife is laughing because of course I do or else I wouldn't have you sing it. It's a great Advent hymn. We'll sing two verses of it. Notice, you can see on, in the Contus Christi, all the text information is on the right. So you can see at 225 was written. This is, this is a wonderful, sometimes you get layers of coolness happening, okay? This is what I call layers of coolness. Number one, St. Ambrose in 397. So this is one of the earliest texts that you have in your hymnal. But, but he wrote it in what language? Latin. I think it was called Veni for come. Savior of the nations come. I've, oh, I'll get it. I, I want to get it right. I'm looking in the Trinity hymnal that we use. Ah, doesn't have it there. It has a German tune. Anyway, there's some really nice Latin tune that begins with Veni as in come. Savior of the nations. And I don't, Veni Gentium, that's it. Gentiles come nations. Sounds very chant-like. Do you all know this one? Good. So here we go. Let's sing two verses. Savior of the nations, come. Virgin Son, make here thy home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a bird. Not by human flesh and blood, by the Spirit Good, very good. Okay, a couple things about this I want to say. Number one, I don't know if this is based on a chanting, but can you just picture it? picture the monks singing that and then it can that so it may well have been a lot of the latin hymns were and even the german like martin luther would build on ancient chants um in fact this i'll talk about this kind of out of order here this is point e there were various chants at this time kind of like salads you all had heard of ambrosian salad there's ambrosian chant named after Ambrose, and it was actually called Mil- Milanese chant because it was from Milan. I didn't know this. I need to give a credit here. Um, there's a fellow, have you ever heard of Greg Wilbur, Gregory Wilbur? He's written some of the hymns in your book. I spent some time before this con- uh, conference brushing up. It's in the bibliography. There are six web links to him, 
giving six podcast talks on the music of the church. And from him, I learned that there was also something called Visigothic chant. And there's Byzantine chant. And there's all kinds of chant going on as early as the 300s. So that's why I'm saying I'm guessing there was a tie. Maybe they just made it all up and it just arose spontaneously in the early centuries of the church. But my guess is that, that they would have continued the tradition from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Just maybe the music is different. But I want to be careful to say where I'm not absolutely positive and where I, where I am not. But we do know, at least as back as 300s, there's a, a tr tradition of chant. Um, many schools of it at that time. And the, the nice thing about chant, and again, I'm jumping, this is also sprinkled through your notes elsewhere. It focuses on melody. It's very beautiful, isn't it? Ah, ah, ah. Sometimes in music, we focus on the beat or the rhythm um, or the instruments. You know, let's just get the band going and then we'll just pop a vocalist on top like in, in music you listen to on the radio or something. It's like, it's just nice, it's just sound, it's going on, it sounds great, I can tap my feet. Almost doesn't matter what they're saying, it's just I'm passing the time maybe or want to sweep the patio and just kind of get it going. The, the church music is all about the voice. In fact, many, in many traditions, only a cappella, but even with whenever, no matter what, accompanied or not, the voice is preeminent. It's God's people singing. So chant and melody really emphasizes the melody uh, melodic element of music, which is the most important. What else do I want to say about this? Okay, other church fathers, Prudentius. Uh, let's look at number 246. Prudentius was a Roman poet. Aurelius Prudentius something. was There's another name in there. And he wrote of the, Aurelius Clemens Prudentius. He wrote of the Father's love begotten. You guys all know this one, right? This is definitely... One thing that's hard about this, you say, oh, I love that tune. That's, I didn't know that was from the 300s. The tune might not have been. The tune, Divinum Mysterium, is from the 12th or 15th century. So a lot of the tunes that we have only go back around 1,000, the, the late medieval church, okay? The, but the texts come early, earlier to us, and then people translate them and things like that, which reminds me, I forgot to tell you when I said layers of coolness before, I forgot to mention that Ambrose wrote it in 397, the one we just sung, but then Luther translated it into German later. So he got his digs on it. Nun komm der Heiden Heiland. Nun komm der Heiden Heiland. I don't know how to sing it, but... And then somebody else had to translate it in English, and we're going to talk about that too. Remind me. Um, if I haven't say, said the name Catherine Winkworth before the last session, somebody needs to remind me because she rocks. Um, of the Father's love begotten. Let's sing this one. Of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be, He is Alpha and Omega, He the source, the ending, He of the things that are, that have been, and that future here shall see. Evermore and evermore. Okay, very nice. We'll just sing one verse on that. Again, that's a chant melody, but that is not a simple psalm tone like, ah, ah, the one I made up that I'll probably keep going back to. That's a psalm tone, very short. This is an actual, what they call, plain song. Not very plain if you ask me. 
I call beautiful song or, uh, you know, fancy chant. You fancy chant, you. Okay? I like this kind of chant better because I think it gives more variety to the voice. It, it re- lets you bring out, um, and we'll talk more about that, um, more about melody as we get into the, to the music. Notice who translated this. You haven't closed your book yet, right? If you did, it's 246. It was Aurelius Prudentius wrote it in the, in the three to four hundreds, but it was translated by John Mason Neal, who I believe was an Anglican priest in the 19th century. He did, us a, he did us a wonderful favor. So many of the hymns that we know today are translated by John Mason Neal. That's the wonderful thing about these, remember back to the treasure thing. You know, there can be all these treasures, but if nobody brings into the museum where you can see them, you have to go to Greece or India or China or wherever to find them. Well, these hymns could be right on your doorstep, but if they're in Latin and you don't know Latin, how are you going to benefit from it? Well, we have these wonderful translators that have helped us. John Mason Neal translated these hymns. Of the Father's love begotten, O come, O come, Emmanuel. What's 159? Uh, I don't remember. Um, 173, All Glory, Laud, and Honor. These are out of the Blue Trinity hymnal that I use at Providence. I can recognize them by hymn, hymn number. 200, which I think is Come Ye Faithful, Raise the Strain. 268, Christ has made the sure foundation. 339, O Trinity of... O Trinity of Night. I, I play them. I don't always sing them, right? Uh, 604, Jerusalem, the Golden. You might know some of those. Um, great, great guy. Great guy. Um, so we, we all love John Mason Neal. Thank him for bringing these down to us. Okay, and of course, St. Patrick's Lorica. Do you all know the Lorica? I bind myself. Let's take a look at that. We might, may or may not sing it because of time, but ah, sure, we'll take it. Take it. We, we need to do that. 349. St. Patrick's Breastplate. When I was a kid, I liked reading the dictionary. That sounds weird, doesn't it? I actually liked discovering the dictionary because we didn't have, you know, cell phones and could look it up. So you had to go get the big old thing. And on the way to obstreperous, you learn what ostentation and osteoporosis are, right? And oxymoron and occipital and everything else. It was, it was really cool, right? It's a... It's, uh, tangential learning well you look at this and you go hey i bind myself ascribed to saint patrick translated by cecil francis humphreys alexander cf alexander oh she's the one that wrote once in royal david city and all sorts of stuff then you say hey there's this cool index in the back of this thing i'm going to go look what else she wrote because in the back you have these indexes of authors composers and sources so you can find out if i like a particular thing what else did that person write and it all, it begins to be a small world and it's very exciting. Okay, here we go. I bind, here we go. I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three. Sadly, we'll stop there because it's a fantastic song. Um... All right, the other thing I want to say about this is on point C, these early Latin hymns had a theological didactic focus. Okay? Let's go back to Of the Father's Love Begotten, which is 246, is that right? 
This is like John 1, in the beginning was the word. Of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be, right? It's like the creed. God of God, light of light, only begotten before all worlds, right? Verse 2, at his world, at his word, the worlds were framed, right? Without him nothing was made that has been made, John 1, right? He is found in human fashion. Okay, that's the incarnation. Right? Oh, that birth forever blessed when the virgin full of grace. Oh, born of a virgin Mary, right? The early church was teaching through music. And so a lot of these early hymns by the church fathers, isn't it interesting? The pastors, the bishops were writing hymns. Isn't that, that's something, isn't it? They wanted to use the hymnody of the church to teach the people. So they weren't all about, oh, blessed day when I fly away and see my mansion in the sky. They weren't, they weren't about that. They were about Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity and right teaching their people because they were in the midst of what? A couple words. What were they fighting? Heresies. So they had to put down the heresies. And do you just want to lecture your way at heresies? No, you teach your kids to sing, right? And as you sing, it's it's in you, right? I mean, and you get all pumped up, and I'm proud to be an American, right? I mean, you get all pumped up, right? Hey, don't say, don't just give me the Pledge of Allegiance and read off the Declaration. Give me Lee Greenwood, baby, right? <laughs> and I'll stand up next to you. Uh, I won't. I'll, 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 I'll. It's calling. The guitar is calling, but I won't go there. You see my point. The music has power. So it's, they're drawing on the power of the, of the song word to teach the church. Told you it'd be fun. On the website, Bill promises it'll be fun and informative, right? Maybe informative, definitely fun for me at least. Okay. Um, another thing I want to talk about. This comes later. It's not on your, it's not on your sheet, but for extra credit. What, remember what I said, canticles. During this time, some of the early canticles came into being. Um, be, and Again, it's not on here, but the church liturgy developed during this time. So the church started singing the Gloria and the Kyrie and all the things that come more into the later uh, medieval mass. But you started having these things like the Nicene Creed, um, the Te Deum. You all know, do you sing the Te Deum? Um, well, we, we, we sing the Te Deum. Uh, we sing it like this. Oh God, we praise thee. We acknowledge thee as Lord. And it goes on to talk about, it's kind of Trinitarian. It's almost a creed. It was from the fourth century in Latin. So again, these, these Latin hymns, where am I going with this? Oh, yes. I believe, I'm not positive, but I, th I think that's where the first settings of like the Song of Mary started to come. It may have come later in the medieval church, but we have a version I'd like to show you because it's so beautiful. Turn to the last page in your packet. Sadly, this music is not that old. The music is from, I believe, the 1700s or the 1800s, so it's not going to sound... Oh, I don't... Do uh, you see the Magnificat? You see that there? Okay. This is another way to show you the beauties of the chant style. You know, all know, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary, Mary's song that she said after Gabriel told her she was going to be with child of the Lord Jesus, right? That's known as the Magnificat. Well, I have, there are very metrical metered versions of it, like my soul doth magnify the Lord. I rejoice. And in his grace made me his choice or something like that. They had to rhyme it, put voice and choice and had to turn it on its ear a little bit to make it fit that's a very easy version of the song of mary our children have done that um for our lessons and carols uh, song uh, 
concert when we do the Mary lesson. Um, but if you actually want to sing the way it is in the Hebrew, in, in our translated Bibles, you can sing it like this. And I'll show you this. First of all, look at the left version. It's exactly the same, but just printed differently. On the left, you can read it just the way the scripture says. And I'm going to be using this tune, and it's the same tune over and over, but it stretches to, um, to fit. Was like this. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. See how that's exactly singing the scripture? Isn't that a beautiful rendition of that? For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Now here's one where you're going to have a lot of notes all in one syllable, all a lot of words on one note. I mean. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. See how that works? That's a chant, and it allows you to have a lot of words on one note, or just a very, very short, like in the second stanza. For he hath regarded, you get one note before you move. But on the next one is, for he that is mighty hath, let me go to Walmart and come back in 10 minutes and oh, it's time to cadence, okay? So that's how you have to do it. So now, unless you know the tune, you have to know the tune if you're going to read it this way and watch for the little tick marks that say move, all right? So to teach people, it, we have a version on the right, which is exactly the same, but it's more like a hymn with the words printed under it, okay? So I want you to sing this with me. Um, but let me give you a, 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 a tip. After you sing verse 2, see at the end of verse 2, it says to to be. I won't say it, but you're thinking it. After to be, you go to the section where it says to be. So after you say on the last line of uh, line 2, and holy is his name, which is the end of verse 2, you go up to where it says to be, which is halfway down, and his mercy is on them that fear him. Do you all see that? Sometimes the Hebrew, the poetry doesn't exactly line up. This chant, most chants have like a first section and a second section, as you can see, because it has second part there at the top. Well, what if you have three little textual thoughts? I'm going to run, and I'm going to jump, and I'm going to skip. Okay, well, if you, I'm going to run, na, 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 and I'm going to skip. Oh, now I've got to do something for jump. You just go back and do it, and I'm going to run. Okay. Silly example, but that's the point. I'm talking way too much. Let's sing. Let's sing the whole thing. You guys are good with music. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. You're doing fantastic. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. Here we go. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Back to to be. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. 
He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He hath sent empty away. He hath hope in His servant Israel, in remembrance of His mercy, as He spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Very good. We had the organ working, right? Let me show you. I know you don't use the organ a lot, but let me show you. I can make a little pitch for the organ. On something like this, it helps sustain. When you have the long notes like this, on the go to Walmart verse, remember? You don't know when to move. You can follow the canter, or you can use the organ and it will sustain. Ooh. Speaker's on. Okay, let me sh see how this works. Ah, here we go. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath put down the mighty from their seats, and exalted them of low degree. That wasn't the long one. How, how about the third, the third line? He hath hope in his servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy. See how the organ sustains until it's time. And when you hear the organ lift, then you know it's time to go. So one reason the organ, and we're really skipping around here because, but anyway, the organ um, became used in hymnody because it helps sustain the tone, all right? That's the main, that's the main reason. And we'll talk more about that later, but I, I really like doing this one on the organ. So, all right, so that's, that's chant and canticles. Boy, we're, I'm just enjoying this too much. We're not getting very quickly through here, but this is fun stuff. Okay, y'all with me so far? Having fun? Good. You going to sing this one now? Okay. It's really good if you can sing it in harmony too, because once you learn it, you, that, that, I, I just put the melody on the right half to make it easy to follow, but once you've got it, it's so fun. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath the joyce in God, my Savior. You got to do that. My soul doth magnify the Lord. Ah, you got to love it. I love it. I want to hear you do it right now. It's just too fun. Okay. Down, down. Let's let's get medieval. So, medieval means middle era. Middle ages is another word for it. After the time of the church fathers, you have the, the medieval period. How much time do I have? I'm, I'm probably 20 minutes. Oh. That feels like he just said three hours. But you know what? Next time he's like, no, I have two minutes. That can't possibly be. Anyway, here you are. The church fathers are, are mostly gone. You've had this tradition of chant. You have this guy come along named Pope Gregory the Great, father of Gregorian chant. He codified the different chants that have come through, and he formalized them into a series of modes that we can, we can talk about. 
modes are very, very nice. So, uh, but before we actually talk about the mode, let's show one to you. On page 52, we can sing Gregorian chants. I don't like, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I don't like them as much as those more melodic, longer chants, like Of the Father's Love, or that one that we did there, um, Magnificat. But this is, this is very early chant. Right on page 52. Ascribe to Yahweh, sons of mighty ones. Ascribe to Yahweh, glory and strength. Kind of sounds like that one I made up, the, the other one I did. Ah, right? Okay. Now, after you lead in, ascribe to Yahweh. That's just the cantor does. Ascribe to, and then everybody comes in. That's because you don't have a, you know, you don't have a, uh, you don't have a piano, right? So they, so they, the cantor will go, ascribe to, and everybody go, oh yeah, it's our time. Go, Yahweh, and they all come in by that, okay? But on the second note, they all know the pitch. So that's why I noticed the other verses, you don't have a lead in. So in verse two, it's, ascribe to Yahweh, and then verse three, Yahweh's voices. Okay, so let's try this. I'll give you the first three, and then you come in on Yahweh. Ascribe to Yahweh, sons of mighty ones. Ascribe to Yahweh, glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh, the glory of His name. Worship Yahweh in the majesty of holiness. Very Gregorian. Can you feel it? Can you feel like you're in the cathedral and the echoes and all? This is amazing that you guys have this in your hymnal. I have no, no other hymnal that has Gregorian chant in the hymnal. And you could actually sing the whole psalm this way. That's one beauty of chanting is you can sing any number of verses, any length, because you just stretch the music to fit. Okay? Now you might say, but it's kind of boring. As a musician who's played very complex music. I actually kind of agree, but I'm realizing that when we sing these in our church, Caleb Skogan has, has composed some of them for our church and found others. As I'm singing them, all of a sudden it quiets you. And as we start singing a psalm especially, it's like, oh, wow, something's happening. I think, I think it disciplines us and it kind of repoints us. So some of the simpler music can actually be thought of as kind of disciplining. Um, and, you know, I, I've read somewhere that we're, we're not at the feast yet. We're not at the party yet. This life, it is a, suffer, a life of suffering, and the Lord chastens us. So it's okay to have, maybe have music that not every song has to be big and flowery and bombastic. Some of the music can be contained and focused. So uh, accept the discipline of the, some of the simpler music is what I'm trying to say. Um, what else do I want to say about this? Oh, the church modes. Yes, I talked about this, and this is kind of technical, but you need to know this. We're very familiar with the major scale. If you start on C and play all the white notes, okay? We're also familiar with the minor scale. As opposed to... But what if we were to start on D and play only the white notes? That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? You're expecting. But you don't hear that. You hear. If 
you're a pianist, you're thinking, this is in D minor. You're, you want to go to G minor, but you're in G major. What? G major in the key of D minor? And then you think, here comes A seventh, but it's A minor. G major, A minor, D minor. It's kind of mysterious, but it's kind of strong. Okay, let's look at At the Name of Jesus, which is, ah, tell me I wrote that one down. I know I did. One, ah, 124 there. Where is it? Thank you. How did you, because you sing that a lot or what? You just knew? I got my peeps helping me out here. This song starts on D, and it's all, there's, there's no, the key signature has a B flat in it, but that's for the pianist for the chords. There's some B flats down there, but not in the melody. Let's sing it. Here we go. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess Him, King of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure, we should call Him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty Word. See that? It has a G, kind of a G feel. It's just a different feeling. It's very sturdy. That's the Dorian mode. Starts on D. It's very used in more hymns than you would think, and it's very strong. The next mode, I think it's Phrygian, but I'm not sure. If it starts on E... which is kind, kind of different. There's, 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 there's a, two, three, four, five, six, I guess seven modes from C up to B. Another one that's interesting is the Aeolian mode starts on A and it sounds like this. O come, O come, Emmanuel's like this. Just listen. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom God of Israel. You, right on the time. That's, that's, if you were to start on A minor and just play all the white keys, that might seem kind of abstruse right now, but my point is, um, a couple points. Number one, remember I talked about the harmonic series? The notes and those scales come from that, so it's kind of baked into the physics of how things work. And, and instead of just having two scales, uh, Gregory has enabled seven scales. and It doesn't always have to mean you start on that note. You don't always have to start on the A just because you want to have all white keys. You can start on C and use the Aeolian pattern. And I know I'm getting way ahead here. What makes a scale is the, how you separate the whole steps and the half steps. On a piano, if you take one key and then press the very next key, whether it's white or black, that's a half step. If you skip one, that's a whole step. So if you go C, C sharp, which is black note, that's a half step. C, skip C sharp and go D, C, D, that's a whole step. When you make a scale, there's 12 actual choices you have between one C and an octave higher, the high C. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, repeat. But your scale's only eight, counting beginning and One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So you have to skip. So it's like, well, where do I make the skips and, wh and where do I make the half steps, right? I got seven, eight notes, but I have 12 choices. So here I'm going to skip, and I'm going to skip, then a little step, then a skip, then a skip, then a 
another skip, and then a little one. Okay? That's the major scale. These modes change up where that skip happens. That's the point. Okay? The modes say, well, I'm going to start here. Or I'm going to go different. Start here, whole step, put my skip right there. Okay? So that by changing up the pattern of where, this, where the whole steps and the half steps are, gives the whole point is, and I think I'm maybe losing some of you now, it changes the feel, it changes the flavor, okay? Because major and minor are just two flavors. You get seven flavors if you rearrange the intervals of the scale. Thank you. Ten minutes on this one, wow. <laughs> All right. Anyway, the, the, that's why certain hymns sound different, okay? Even though their chants, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, rejoice, rejoice, has a different feeling of, Of the Father's love begotten. That one sounds a little more major, Okay? Because they're using different modes, okay? And the point of saying all that is the church has used that richness in all the Gregorian chant tunes. There's a whole library of them. The church for, for hundreds of years, that's all they did is sing the Gregorian chants in the various modes, the monks and the monasteries and the, and the churches. We've used some of those in to make hymns and because we're using different of the modes, we get variety in the melodies and it's not just two flavors is my point. That's really what I'm trying to say. It gives us musical variety, um, and tied into what Gregory did for us. Oh, wow. Did not expect to spend so much time, but that's all right. Now we can talk about modes and you know. Now we can talk about this and then I think we'll have to go. Oh, good, because we'll get into the Reformation. That's a good place to stop. Because oh, that's the fun stuff. We are now going to talk in the late medieval period. During the early medieval period, everything was in unison and everything was ah, the chants, the melodic chants in the various modes that I've gone on ad nauseum for you. Then, in the late medieval period, the church got, got kind of bold and they started having two voices. <laughs> and they would do chants in the octave. Ah, right? And why the octave? Because that's the first harmonic, right? Remember the 100, 200 and the frequencies? They're resonating in all those big buildings. They're using, and by the way, I'm this, uh, Joshua, pretty soon I'm going to have you pull up um, the Palestrina. Um, I'll tell you when. And so th th we have a period of flourishing of the music. From the simple melodic chants, they started to get into octaves. Then they started using the third harmonic, the fifth. And you, you can picture this, right? That's music at the octave and the fifth. It sounds very monkish, right? Okay? But that was a real development because they hadn't done that before. Then they finally discovered and thought it was okay. Not only, they, it's not that they didn't know about them. They thought, for a long time, they thought that that harmonic, well, that's too colorful. Ma, it's too happy. It's like barbershop, right? So we just have to be pure and sing in unison. Oh, no, we can have a fifth now. Oh, no, we can have a third. Ooh, 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 ooh. But why do it when I have a recording of it? Then they started... Um, now we have a recording of it, bad. Um, so, so they went from monophony, which means one sound, one voice, all together, to having 
two, and then to have polyphony, which is many voices. And as you know, if you've listened to Renaissance music, the height of the late medieval ages, which we're going to go, what's my time? Seven minutes, good. We started getting very ornate music in the late medieval ages, 13, 14, 1500. And you've probably heard this. Thomas Tallis and Palestrina and all this. I'm going to play, he's going to play for you some, some Palestrina. You're going to hear voices come in at different times, but almost so seamlessly you can't tell. And you're going to hear them coming in at one note, then you're going to hear a fifth higher, then maybe an octave below that, then maybe a fifth above that. And you're going to hear all this stuff, probably in a different key though. You're going to hear this, fifth above, octave below that, then the high octave. And then they're going to throw in the thirds in there. And it's going to just be glorious. Probably performed in some big resonant cathedral to amplify all the harmonics that are naturally occurring in music and in sound everywhere. And it's really the pinnacle of composed vocal music to take advantage of what the ancients called the music of the spheres. It was very important for them. They were all into the cosmos and what does the universe sound like and how should we be in tune with the principles of created order. And this was incredible stuff. And it's the height, and the music went from very simple chant to this incredible, polyphonic, artful, architecturally composed stuff. And without further ado, stuff. You like that? Give us some stuff. I give you Palestrina. Octave. See the fifth and the fourth? Octave. They come in different places. Crank it. those harmonics we talked about do you hear how that locks in do you hear how it just resonates isn't that glorious so they've gone just from a very simple melody to glory upon glory building this this incredible sound for the worship of the lord and we're going to talk about um what came next but um but we probably we don't have much time now right four minutes okay let's see if there's anything else on my notes that i wanted to say but or I might be able to take a quick question if I have said everything I wanted to. But So that's basically, we just went through, oh uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll say this. This music was all in Latin and sung only by the choirs. Uh, and, and that, now we're going to talk about that, right? What's, if, if you want to sing for yourself and you want to sing in your own language, Something needs to be done about that. Well, something's about to be done about that, right? And you all know where we're going with that, right? The Reformation. Okay. So um, I'm probably at a good pla- place to stop. Since we have a, just a minute or two, if there's a question that comes to you right now, I think we're running a little bit ahead. Just flash me when we get one minute. Yes, sir. 
Okay. Sure. Like what I just played? What, like what I just played? Um, oh, reform music. Okay. I mean, you can go to YouTube and just search, but I mean, you have to, I, I guess you can, uh, I need to think about that. I don't know if you can just say reformed music, but what you can do is, did I put the name Palestrina in there? Write down Palestrina. I didn't write that down. I should have under music of the spheres. As I have all these names here, you can, you, you know, you can either Google those names or Wikipedia about them. And if you Wikipedia so-and-so and say he wrote this and this and this, then you can go to YouTube and find a recording of the thing that he wrote. Okay, does that make sense? But I just Googled Palestrina because I went to music school and had to study this stuff. And I knew he was awesome and found this particular one. Two minutes. Um, uh, uh, any other questions? This is good. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Piano versus organ. Good point. The high church, low church. The question is piano versus organ. Okay. The answer is piano very late. Okay. They didn't even have this, the modern piano... Oh, one minute. Okay, how do this quickly? Acapella for well, first the ancient you know the strings, lyres, uh, l y r e, <laughs> um, symbols. You know the David's orchestra, if you will, um, which is a lot like what I understand you to hear: flute, violin, and the piano, which is a stringed instrument. So, I, I guess you could say piano. The precursor to the piano came first. It's a stringed instrument, right? Then organ came, I think, in like around the late medieval ages. The organ started to be used in, in medieval worship. But the actual modern pianoforte probably came in later because it didn't, it didn't come until the 17 or 1800s. We had earlier versions of it, namely the harpsichord and stuff that Bach and early music, uh, but that wasn't used in worship so much. They would not sing to the harpsichord. So precursors to piano and then organ and then both, and <laughs> people use them both. Thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah, put them in the, right, bring them up, and I'll look at them during the break, and...